Hey everybody, welcome back to D3 Glory Days. Noah and Stu here, as always, really glad that you're joining us today for another great conversation. Stu's gonna introduce the guests in just a minute. In the meantime, wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who has supported this podcast, either by shopping in our merch store or making a small donation by buying us a coffee. Both those links are available on our website and in the description of this podcast. Stu, why don't you tell us who we have on today? Yeah, today we have two legendary coaches from the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, Coach Deb Verkaterin and Coach John Zupans. These two coaches came to Oshkosh in the early 80s and with the goal of winning titles, and they did just that. Coach Verkaterin, who has the Women's D3 Program of the Year named after her, won 15 straight WIAC XC titles, had four NCAA team titles, 13 total top four finishes in cross country, and then wait for this stat, 14 track titles and 30 top four across indoor and outdoor. Not to be left behind, Coach Zupons added 14 titles in cross country. He was the first coach to have a D3 three-peat even before North Central had their first three-peat. Along with that, he had eight trophy finishes in cross country, added two track titles and five more trophies on the track. But beyond their stats and performances, we went into why they got into coaching, the impact that their athletes had on them, and really what they love about Division Three. So overall, it was a great conversation of not only success, but also what makes them great coaches. Yeah, this was kind of a fun one. I think it's always cool to talk to couples because they have a really uh, fun dynamic with each other and kind of a shared language that you get to experience on the podcast. This was also a cool listen because they were both the founders, essentially, of their respective programs and built them up from nothing and became high achieving coaches kind of simultaneously, which was really cool to hear about. So definitely worth your time. We appreciate you listening. In the meantime, if you uh, have a minute, write a review of this podcast, or even better, share it with a friend. It helps us grow, and we really appreciate it. All right, sit back, relax, and here's to the glory days. All right, welcome back to D3 Glory Days. We have a good one in store for you. Two legendary coaches from UW Oshkosh, Coach John Zupants and Deb Verkaterin. Coaches, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thank you for doing this. It's great that you want to do things with Division Three and keep Division Three alive and well. Yeah, that's, that's the goal. And, you know, we're always looking to find some untold stories. And I think we have a lot here in store for us and not to get into any spoilers, um, especially with what you've both done in your careers. So, you know, to kind of start things off with you, Deb, I know you ran at UW Stevens Point and were more of a, a 400 type and ran uh, some pretty fast times. But can you kind of go into how you found UW Stevens Point and made that your home for four years? Well, I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and so um, we, I had some friends that were going to Stevens Point, and I was very shy and very quiet, and so I just sort of followed them up, uh, along, 
where now, you know, most wouldn't consider me very quiet. They would consider me very outgoing and, and sometimes actually very loud. And then after UW-Stevens Point, I taught in the public schools for a year and a half and I needed to get out of there and go somewhere else. And so um, I, I ended up um, being hired by Helen Brewa at UW-Oshkosh and she remembered me as an athlete at UW-Stevens Point. And so then I was able to sneak in the, the back door that way. Can you talk a little about your running career at Stevens Point? Um, you know, through, through some research, we found that you ran a, a 57 seven for the 440 yards. You know, what was, what was your training like uh, in college? Oh dear, if I think back that long, um, well, we didn't do any strength training or any, with any weights that, that wasn't a part of um, how things went. And basically you kind of did your own thing here. You just, um, were, there wasn't like a set program or a coach that worked with you. You um, would go to practice and you feel like, okay, I feel like running some sprints today. I'll, I'll do that. Or if I feel like, you know, going outside cause it's nice out, I'll, we'll do that. And so it wasn't, um, it wasn't a very unstructured program at all. And in fact, um, we didn't have a track for indoor track. And so you, you, um, you set up cones and ran around the basketball court at Point Fieldhouse in Stevens Point. And so that was um, very, very different from what all the opportunities or all the programs that we have today that can help you. And so um, actually kind of a strange way of um, training was but it, it worked and I had great fun and I got to meet a lot of people. And so that, that's important too. But I wish I would have had, could have had the training that they have today. When did you start to consider a career in coaching um, or just in athletics in general? Oh, I love sports and so, since I was a little kid. And so that, that was always my goal was to go teaching, coaching. And there wasn't any sports. Yeah, there wasn't any women's sports really until Title IX came into effect in 1972. And so um, coaching, I go the coaching route because I enjoyed people, enjoyed, um, I enjoyed challenging people and help them get better um, in anything that they did. And so I you know, went that route. John, let's hear your college story, you know, from Jordan Carpenter. He kind of gave us a little uh, information on you all as he thought you'd both would be a great uh, addition to this, the show. He wasn't sure if you ran in college, but it sounds like you had a nice running career of your own, running Boston Marathon multiple times, running 217 as well. Is that correct? Well, I wish I ran 217, but no. <laughs> I mean, at some point in the race, I was at 217. Um no, I, you know, I did not run in college. Um, I only ran one, I ran one year in high school. Uh, I really, you know, was a football, basketball, golf in high school. And then, in, you know, in the junior year, you realize ah, I'm too small for football. And my, my neighbor, who is a, a really good runner and, you know, a state, high level state runner, his brother, was a national level runner, actually held a world record in the thousand yards at one time, Mark Winston Reed. Anyway, he said, geez, John, you gotta, you gotta go off across country. We could, you would do well at that. So I ran in my senior year and, and did well, went to state, all that kind of stuff and then ran track. But then I went to UW-Madison and at the time I really didn't 
think about running in college at all because I, I, I didn't think I would be any necessarily good enough to do it. Um, and, you know, generally from there, I met up with, you met, you bump into people who also ran and you started, I started running again in college a little bit. And that led me to, um, you know, doing more road races and finding out, geez, I, I probably could have been okay at this. Um, and from there, I'd like Deb, you know, after, I, I went on to teach and coach because I knew I, I, I've always been competitive. Deb didn't mention it, but she's also very competitive. And, uh, you know, so you wanted to be able to continue to do that. And I taught for a year and a half, just like Deb did, um, up in a little Northern Wisconsin town and decided, Ooh, I, you know, I, I don't think coaching at the high school level is good. So went back to Madison to get a graduate degree in um, exercise physiology. And that's where Deb and I met. Um, she at the same time was leaving her coaching job and we happened to be in the same summer school class at, at there was probably like 12 of us in that class or something. And uh, that's, that's where we met both in exercise physiology. And, and that got you started interested in the college level um, with doing a little bit you know, I was staying involved. I coached at some distance runners at a high school there when I was doing graduate work. You man into more runners. And really one of my big mentors probably in the, for, for coaching was Dan McClyman, who was the head track and field coach at UW-Madison. And he gave me an opportunity to be a graduate assistant with him. And I learned a ton from him and his personality and the team's he was just an awesome guy. Um, unfortunately, died in a plane crash a couple of years later while coming back from a recruiting trip in Illinois. But that's that kind of is how it got us, got me into the, the coaching aspect of things. Um, the combination between finding out that you could be an okay distance runner and the exercise physiology part um, really struck a good chord. John, I think that's kind of an unorthodox um, route for coaching. I mean, pretty much every coach we've talked to was a competitive athlete themselves and, you know, high school and college. Mm -hmm. um, if you can remember back to when you were first starting to realize that, you know, you were an okay runner, what, what kind of resources were you consuming to learn more about running other than your relationship with your mentors? Well, I think, you know, when we first started running, well, when I ran in high school, just the one year that I ran in high school, our coach there, I loved him too. He was ultra competitive, Clarence Brees. And we basically ran hard all the time. You know, I mean, there was, we didn't, we didn't run intervals per se. I mean, we played some games and did a few things, hill repeats and stuff. But basically when we went out and ran, we, I don't think we ever ran slower than six minute pace. Um, and so I bumped into a couple guys that, um, that ran in high school as well. And we just started running hard, <laughs> you know, we just said, all right, let's go out and, and run hard. And, and with the goal was to, to, of all things, you know, just to run in a marathon. And we both ended up getting hurt by doing that <laughs> and discovered, well, geez, there's gotta be more to it. So you just read stuff and you, you know, you were just reading things on, all right, what are other people doing? What's Bill Rogers do? You know, what is Frank Shorter doing or what is, and it was all just about reading things because there was nothing online. I mean, you know, 
the internet didn't exist. <laughs> and so you just read books on training, you know, like uh, on, on some of the, you know, the old, the old coaches. And, uh, you know, you basically, you just checked out every book you could try to find on how did these guys, how did the best coaches and runners of their time? And you learned, you, you just, you learn different things about them. Like Pablo Nurmi running like 40 times 400, you know, in, in the hills and you, and Iglioi and, um, and the, you know, the long, slow distance stuff. Um, you know, you, you just, I don't know, you just try to consume as much as you could. And then you put those pieces together with the exercise physiology and you started to think about energy systems and how you can, if you're going to be a distant, better distance runner, what things do you have to improve on? And you looked at trying to figure out ways to be able to, how do you improve the, your max VO2? How do you improve your lactic acid? How do you improve your efficiency? How do you go about doing that? And you experimented with yourself and, um, you know, you also learned a lot of things through, you know, helping with the Badgers and just trying different things and talking to people. And, you know, you just, you tried to absorb as much information as you could. Something I'm curious about uh, with you, Deb, you know, from our conversation with Kirk Reynolds and other research, you know, women cross country and track in division three started in 1981. And that happened to be your first year at Wisconsin Oshkosh, or at least that's when the program started. Uh, can you give some background as to how you were able to start the program and what it looked like in the early days? Well, I was up at UW Stevens Point and I was the assistant track coach and then the badminton coach. At Oshkosh. At Oshkosh. And um, badminton was a sport in our conference and it was also a sport in the Big Ten. And they were, the, they were going to drop that program at Oshkosh. And so we had to, they were either going to add women's golf or women's cross country. And so um, I was very adamant that if they ever wanted to have a strong track and field program that they needed to have a women's cross country program. And so Dr. Brewer, um, we had lots of long discussions because she wanted, they wanted to bring in golf because I'm not sure why. I don't know if they thought they could have a bigger numbers or what was going on, but I convinced them to um, start the, the cross country program. And then they would also have a better track program and that would give them like greater exposure. And so we, we took it from there. And um, the first year, I think I had 10 or 11 women on the team, mainly from went around on campus because you found out in the summer, like, you know, July, late July that you were going to, um, be the cross country coach. So, you know, you had to scurry around a little bit and um, anybody that looked like they could move on campus, um, we, you know, sat and talked with them and, or anybody that talked to some coaches in the area, if, you know, if they had any athletes there. And so we were able to get a group there that really, um, that wanted to be competitive, that um, liked being part of the team and were willing to, um, set a goal and go after it and that i guess that's pretty much where we came from we you know went they were going to make a change in the who the head track coach was and so that allowed me to stick my nose in there a little bit more 
and you know, go go for it from there. So were you just walking around campus with a clipboard looking for people jogging or how exactly did you recruit these people? Pretty close to walking around campus with a clipboard. Well, they're also like, they had like some physical education classes, you know, that, that we were able to pick up some women from there. High school girls cross country had started. So anybody that we saw running anywhere, anybody we talked to like, any professors in, that had class that might have a running portion to that or a track portion to that. Any high school coach in the area, we, we just um, went after everything that we could to just to, um, to make this work because I convinced you know, Dr. Rero or Helen to um, go with cross, cross country instead of golf. And so we were gonna make sure that she knew that that was a good decision. That must have been kind of uh, kind of wild in your first season because it's it's all new to you as a coach, and then it's all new to probably all of your athletes too. Um, how how did you navigate that? And as a coach, you want to appear confident, but you guys were all kind of learning together. Oh yeah, but I I guess I I don't know. I'm not sure I felt that way. I just felt that um, if I could bring just give me any athlete, and if they're willing to do a little bit of work. And if you can get instill in them a little bit of passion, give them confidence, you don't have to be very good. You don't really have to know that much. They, um, if they believe in what you're doing and you teach them to be competitive, and in some cases you can teach that, some cases, cases you can't, that you, you can go, especially in the early days when things were just starting to heat up, there, was, there wasn't a lot of knowledge. So again, um, get, them, get them to come out and want to be a part of the team, get them to have fun, teach them to train hard. I think that was half the battle. And plus, I think if you um, could get them in shape and be fit, that you could get by a lot of a lot of teams and get by a lot of people that way, because everybody's kind of in the the beginnings. The beginnings, and so now, what are you going to do different, or what are you going to stress to make to make that better? And so we were going to anybody that wanted to have fun um, was willing to train hard, and we would take care of the rest and give them you know give them the confidence um, and to be competitive. And even when we did recruiting, I did for, when we did for 30 years that we were there, I would always ask an athlete when they came in um, what they liked about the sport, blah, 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 blah. And I would always ask them if they liked to compete, because if they liked to compete, we could go places. If they didn't like to compete, eh, we're not going to get the same results. And John, you showed up, or at least took over as the head coach a year later in 82, and you kind of in a similar boat, you know, Deb's taking over and building a brand new program, and you're taking over a program that just finished eighth in the conference. So you kind of, in a way, are both starting from scratch. You know, how did your, you know, first year or two look on campus, and what, what was the men's team like? Well, Deb and I actually... You know, when we were in graduate school and then we started dating and going out and whatever, that we decided, all right, whoever gets the first job, the other person's going to follow them. And Deb happened to get the call from Helen saying, hey, we need a, you know, we need, we need an assist, we need a head badminton and assistant track and field. So 
Jeb said, sure, let's do it. And I said, all right, I'll follow you up there. They got to, you know, let's see what they got. And, you know, I, I figured, all right. So I went into the track office and Jim Flood and said, hey, I'd like to volunteer as a track coach. You know, I coach distances. Is that all right? And he, and he said, um, sure, yeah, we'll give you a whirl. Because he goes, well, what's your experience? And I just told him, well, you know, I've been working with Dan McClyman and Dan is a pretty famous guy in Wisconsin. So he said, okay, well, that's good enough for me. So, you know, their distance program was not good. You know, the, their, head track their head cross country coach at that time was the assistant basketball coach. And the only reason, and the only reason he did cross country really was to fulfill more job of his job really he had no interest in cross country but he was coaching cross country because well you know you could become full-time and whatever and they were what they were they there were some guys that had some talent but you know they had no leadership there and that's deb should tell you a funny story about the the, well, yeah, the men's I, head track head cross country coach okay, so at I was going to start the women's cross country program so went to logically go see the men's cross country coach to see what they were doing or just to get a feel for things. And within five minutes of being in his office, he told me that Oshkosh would never win a thing in cross country. And so being the um, highly competitive person I was, I thought, I'll show you. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I'm thinking in my brain, I'll show you Oshkosh will make Oshkosh strong. And so then the next year he left. And I always hoped that I would run into him again somewhere in the basketball world just to thank him for um, lighting that fire. Yes. <laughs> that was one of the classic moments of you will never have a good women's pro. There will never be good cross country at Oshkosh. Well, if we would have known this, we would have brought him on the other line and have we would have had you guys had a surprise uh, confrontation on the podcast. That would <laughs> now that would have been good listening. But and so anyway, you know, it helped with Deb in a position, and then I was, you know, fortunate enough to be able. I have a math degree as as well, and so I was I was teaching some math at UW Oshkosh just to try to make ends meet and Deb's position was like a 50% position so between the two of us we weren't even full-time in 1981 and um, anyway the the basketball coach assistant basketball coach left on the summer of 1982 late in 1982 and took a job I think at Western Colorado because I had helped with the men's distance program the the last two years, Jim, you know, the AD said, hey, you want to do the men's cross country? And I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to do men's cross country. That'd be great. And that's how we got to it. And he just took, obviously, there was no recruiting. I just, whoever showed up, that was our team in 1982. And we were not very good. We were, we, you know, we were eighth in the conference meet. And we got on the, the our van at the end of that. I told the guys in the van, I said, we will never be eighth again in this conference meet. <laughs> and, and we never were. And from there, it was just, you know, then you started to recruit. And, you know, e even then it was, recruiting was just so different back in 1982. You know, you, you, you get paper, newspaper results two weeks later and you're trying to figure out a high school coach and, trying to figure out what their phone number is and how do you contact them and the athletes. And, you know, you just, you, you pretty much stuck in your area. Um, you know, we recruited in that Northeast Wisconsin 
area. And we got fortunate to get some really good guys in our second year and third year of recruiting. And that, that set the stage. So it was good. This is a question for, for both of you. Uh, maybe Debbie, you can go first. But what were the, the biggest learning curves um, that you experienced in those first few years as a head coach? And what excited you the most about being a head coach in those first couple of years? Well, what excited me most is that um, you would watch the women improve and they would accomplish a goal that they didn't think was possible. And then you know how excited that you get and your eyes get all sparkly. And just to see them um, be so excited and so happy with what they did because Part of my philosophy was I always wanted to have strong women on the team and teach them to be strong so that when they left and went out into the world, they could take care of themselves and would be able to, um, you know, not be afraid to speak up or not, or, you know, say what they had to say. And so I always wanted them to be strong and confident. That's, I consider that a part of them being strong. So that was my, that was probably the most thing, the thing that I liked about coaching most was be able to see an athlete, you know, come in as a freshman, have, there's some goal out there that they never thought possible and have them achieve that goal. I was a science person because I was in exercise physiology, but I had to learn like all those energy systems and uh, how to combine those to get more um, scientific in the training. Because there's the science of training and then there's the art of training. And to be a good coach, you need to do both of those. And I, I felt like I already had the art of, art of coaching because I, I can read people pretty well. And I, um, and I can not make them want to get better, but help them get better. But the, the science I had to work on a little bit. Work on a lot, I shouldn't say a little bit. Um, I, I think the biggest learning curve was just um, learning how to instill some confidence in guys that, you know, you're a better runner than you think you are. And you could be, you can be better. You just need to follow what I'm asking you to do. And, you know, I try, I, I, I approached it from the aspect that, look, I'm, I'm a good distance runner. I know what I'm doing. And it's something I, uh, I've got this exercise physiology background and I know that I can mesh those with helping you to become better. You just have to believe in what I'm doing. Just follow what we're doing and give it a try. And you're going you're gonna to see good results. And that initially, I think, was that was probably the biggest learning curve at Oshkosh was just to get guys to recognize that we can be a much better team than what we are. And, you know, you just have to you have to. To, to get them to take that leap forward in confidence, um, you know, I, I think that that was, you know, that that was that was kind of a big a big leap and the big leap that you need to invest a little bit more. I was looking to get them to be more passionate about their running in a good positive way, um, and, and and that was. That was something that took a little bit of time because they were used to being in a program that was really crappy. And, and so to try to, and then to, to depend on the young guys coming in to be able to turn that around, you know, and I, I think a lot of it just, I, I got guys to believe in what we were doing and, you know, and, and what was nice at that time compared to this time is 
they had no way of knowing what anybody else was doing really. <laughs> you know, there isn't that instantaneous, well, let's look and see on Twitter what this guy is doing or YouTube or any of that stuff. So in some ways it made it easier because you kind of were in your own little island. And um, they knew a little bit about lacrosse, what lacrosse might be doing or stuff, but I don't think they paid very much attention to it. So that helped. Seeing the results get better and better year after year, how nice was it to have your significant other with you literally doing the same exact thing? I mean, you look at year over year, the, the results are getting better. You're, you're placing higher in the conference. You're starting to go to the national meet and you're not alone doing it. You know, did that make it a little bit easier seeing the other person doing as well as you are? Oh yeah, because well, as we started to travel by bus, it was a lot more fun on the ride home when both teams are doing well, rather than you know just having one team do well. And so I think, um, and they supported each other a lot. And I think that was a big thing was um, to have both teams be happy. It made it really nice for Deb and I, obviously, because we were basically on the same schedule. You know, we're going to the same meets and we're gone on Saturdays. <laughs> you know, Friday night into Saturday, coming back late, you know, late Saturday night. And, and our routine was, was good for us. Um, you know, cause we, we each had coaching was never a full-time position for us for either of us for the entire time we were at Oshkosh. We always had other responsibilities within the university. So, you know, I, I was doing teaching and, and Deb was, did academic advisement for a little bit and did a little bit of admissions, was an assistant athletic director. I did some math teaching to academic advisement to um, eventually teaching in the exercise physiology area. And so that we were there, we would leave every morning at 7.30 in the morning and we'd get home around six, six o'clock at night together. And even though we did that, there was hardly any time in the day when we really were together. Because the women's team practiced on an LB hall and the men's team practiced at a Cult Sports Center. And so we could be at, my office was over in LB Hall and we were in Cult. And so a lot of times John and I didn't even see each other for the whole day. Just saying, you know, we got, went into school together and we went home together. And then we talked shop maybe a little bit on the way home. And then usually we, there was a moment, there was time we go, okay, I'm talked out for the day, <laughs> you know, and, or Deb would be, but usually, you know, they, we had, you know, there was always something interesting that was going on that you could say, oh man, Deb, you can't believe what happened today. <laughs> you know, so-and-so did this or that or. In present day, it seems as though a lot of the UW schools get a lot of support athletically from the administration you know what was the support like back when you all first started coaching and how did it progress throughout the years well one thing too i liked about uw oshkosh we were fortunate to have athletic directors that cared about our sport and wanted our sport to do well um first we had lynn king and then we had al ackerman and both of them were great advocates for the cross country and track programs, because if your leader, I don't want to say doesn't care, but if they, it's not a priority with them, it's harder to go places and get where you want to be. Or if you have that support, that advocate, that that really helps. 
I think it was one thing I like too is that um, I thought John and I were good role models um, for the team, and that that also helped help them. Yeah, I think so because Deb, I mean, all the way through our running career, particular, I mean, our coaching career, particularly early on, Deb was a really good runner. I mean, she ran a marathon and sub three ten, and you know, ran road races, and her women could see. Oh, geez, you know, Deb's pretty tough. <laughs> you know, maybe, I don't know if I can beat my coach. And, uh, you know, and I was running, you know, good marathons at that time, sub 230s and, and eventually, you know, got to like a 220 marathoner. And, and, you know, those things added to our credibility, I believe. And, you know, and, and made athletes believe that, geez, you know, they're running really good. Maybe if I would listen to what they're saying, it would, it would help us. And um, having, you know, like Deb had mentioned, having a great, you know, really good ADs that really embrace the division three philosophy that all sports are really equal because none of them are revenue sports in division three. They just aren't. And, and we were really fortunate for the vast majority of our careers at Oshkosh to have Al Ackerman as our AD. It helped us to host cross country nationals, to host indoor nationals, to host outdoor nationals. Those were always goals that we had in mind. And we always wanted to, we wanted to bring division three to a high level in our area. And Part of that is taking responsibility within Division Three at a national level, whether it's being a Midwest rep or to be the president of the coaches association or being the historian or whatever it might have been. We always felt that that was an important part of. Um, we felt it was kind of your duty, you know, your duty to promote the sport and. And, and, and we enjoyed that aspect of it. As you guys moved through those early days of founding and establishing your programs, when was the first, you know, when did you start feeling that sense that, okay, momentum is now on our side and we're shifting into a high performance program that's going to have success? Probably in the, in the second and third and fourth year, every recruiting class got a little, just, having your own guys and recognizing like, yeah, we can, we're going to, we're going to be okay. Um, and it was like, we were always a step behind the women's level. So it always gave us something, you know, like Deb sent the team in 1982 and we're just in, we're eighth at conference and they're sending the team to nationals in 82. And we're, I'm thinking, holy smokes, I got some work to do <laughs> to, to catch up, so to speak. Even, I mean, it wasn't like we were, Deb and I were battling each other, but we were competitive in that, you know, gosh, we're, our, our, our men's team was, was chasing the women's team that way in a way. But I, I would say in the mid eighties is when we first sent our first guy to nationals was a big step. And then the next year we sent a couple other guys and we sent a team and of all things, we got seventh in the country as a team. The first time we sent a team there, and I was thinking, geez, we were eighth in our conference like four years ago, and now we're seventh in the country. Holy cow. You know, 
I think we can, you know, we're, we're on the cusp at this point. What would you well, say, Deb? I would always tell them, you know, what they did was great, but there's so much more you can have. There's so much more you can go for. And so don't, don't be um, satisfied with where you are. You know, give yourself a, a pat on the back. Yes, what happened was a great thing. But again, there's more out there. Go get it. And yeah. so that, and I guess that started probably, I would agree with you, in the mid-80s. In the mid-80s. And you had, we both were fortunate to get some, you know, some really, I mean, on the men's side, I got some, a couple really good, competitive guys for some probably some very fortunate reasons you know and you know that but yet we did have to go out and reach out to them bring them in campus and do you know and, and convince them to come to school here instead of going to lacrosse um or some other place when you started getting those guys because out of that second recruiting class came my first all-american ever um in cross country jamie pollard and so you, you knew you had some good, you knew you had some good guys. You just had to, we just got a good nucleus. And I, it's, it's hard to say exactly how it transpired, but a couple of good guys here, a couple of good guys there. And that, that led you into your whole recruiting philosophy that if, if you can just get one guy out of your recruiting class that makes your top seven, I would be happy. And that, that was the way it was, was trying to go. What about you, Deb? You, you've probably thought the mid-80s. Yeah, probably the mid-80s. And then we had a really good streak, and then... Yeah. Yeah, you had an incredible... They had an incredible streak there. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to touch on that streak because you look at it from a yearly breakdown on the Oshkosh website, which makes it really easy to look at. You know, in 85, you're fourth in the conference, and you don't make the national meet. And then from 86 to 2000 you don't lose a conference title. So how do you go from fourth to then like a 15 year streak? What, what, what was the, you know, breeding process of having talented recruiting classes and talented teams year after year? That's a, that's a, that's a hard question. I don't know if I, it got to be a, a fun thing with the women. I try to keep things fun and, um, Try not to put too much pressure, but sometimes, you know, with things that are really good, there's pressure that comes with them. And so they were the ones that didn't want the streak to end. They were the ones that were um, letting the freshmen know when they came in what the history was. And so they pretty much, I don't want to say took over that area, but kind of um, let them know like what the expectations were. I, I think at that time too, you know, Deb was one of the few women coaches that that were was out there at that time. And I think that that also made in some ways it was good, but in other ways it was it was tough because the women that she was recruiting out of high school had always been coached by men. And so and they, they were a little leery about it. Oh yes, and I had a recruit tell me that I couldn't be tough enough because I was a woman. And so she didn't know if she's going to come to Oshkosh because I, you know, she wanted to be coached by a male because she thought that they would be um, harder on her. And I thought, oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that, but I was like, oh, honey, if you want, if you want, if you want to be you know, toughness, I can give you toughness. <laughs> that we really We're going to have to use that as that. <laughs> it was so funny. 
but we're gonna have to use that as a sound clip there oh honey that's perfect <laughs> well yeah. it, it is because there weren't very many women coaches and so they were always coached by men so then they thought you know, that that's that's the role model that's where you know where everything comes from and i would rather be from that I, we can accomplish anything we want to accomplish it doesn't matter if you're male or female if we want, we, we can go after the national title. Um, and I remember this is kind of a funny thing. I was talking to the AD and he had asked me what my goals were. And I, we started coaching. We, hadn't, we didn't have any national titles to talk about. And I said, okay, Ash, I want Oshkosh to win 10. And he said, your goal is 10 national titles? I said, yep, that's the goal. We had that's that's before you had won any. Yeah, before we had won any. But those kind of things were fun to go after and fun to do. And you didn't I didn't tell the athletes that. I mean John and I talked about that, but otherwise I pretty much that was undercover, but I did tell the AD that. And the AD said, um, because he gets to count all sports. Or I had to count just cross country and track. And so it was an interesting little, little side thing that we did. So listeners of this podcast will remember we did a three-part series with uh, SUNY Cortland, well, a four-part series with SUNY Cortland, and we also interviewed Jack Daniels um, for that series. You guys had kind of a rivalry in the 80s. Yeah, well, we're probably the two more um, dominant teams at that time where we were trading off first and second a lot. I think they got a few more for, I know they did, got a few more national titles than, than we did. So that, that made me kind of, kind of, that got under my skin a little bit, but the only thing you could do is um, go out to be your best and lay it on the line and whatever happens, happens. And it seemed like I had middle distance runners that we were trying to get in the picture and he had more distance runners trying to get in the picture, but he's a very good coach, but and but we still didn't like any deeper than <laughs> you know it was but yeah there was some there that was a there were i mean Cortland and oshkosh had some really really good women runners at that time holy cow um and there was some really i mean looking at it from you know watching the races there was some really hotly contested races in cross country where both deb's more middle distance ish type we're ending up meeting with Jack Daniels more distance oriented. And it was, there were some battles, no doubt. When you show up to the national meet, are you just immediately looking for those pink singlets and kind of giving Jack Daniels an evil eye from across the course? Or what, what was the relationship like if, if there was any? There wasn't much of a relationship. Um, we, um, well, we always, Cortland always wore the pink uniform, so it was very easy to, easy to find them. But at the same time, you wanted to race how you needed to race to be at your best, rather than racing, you know, following their race plan. So we had to have our own race plan, and that might not always coincide with, with their race plan. But yeah, we always, yeah, we had our eyes on them and we didn't, there wasn't much of a relationship. And I think he's a very good coach and I respect him and he's done really a lot. But I didn't, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't like getting deep on him, I guess. <laughs> or anybody else. Definitely didn't get like, like you know. 
competitive, you don't like to get beat. I mean, you know, that's why you're competing is because, well, you want to do your best, but if you have the opportunity to win, you certainly would want to, you know, you're making that effort to win. And obviously you're not going to win all the time. So you also have to be, to look back at it and be able to tell guys, Hey, we, we did the best we could. They're just better than us. You know, <laughs> what, what can I say? We, they, they were better than us on that day. And in essence, that's, that's what comes down to in, in cross country or track and field. It's how you do on that, on that one day. And uh, there's a lot of luck that goes in with that, but there's also a lot of just making sure your guys are ready to go when they're, when they need to be ready to go. Um, I always felt like each team was like a puzzle and we had to figure out how to put that puzzle together every year to achieve the most that we could, that we were capable of. Let's talk about that one day in 1988. You both walk away with the national title. Deb, it's your second, and John, it's your first. And I'm pretty sure you're the only couple to have won uh, both team titles that day. What was that like, winning both winning? Well, John, the men's team went first. I right. remember that. We, we were up first, and really, at that time, I mean, we had never beaten North Central ever. You know, I mean, and lacrosse had beat us at, at, you know, at the conference meet that a couple weeks earlier, three weeks earlier, when we really thought we had a shot at breaking their streak, because they had a streak similar to Deb's, Phil Eston's teams had won like, I don't know, God knows, it, it seemed like forever, he'd won like maybe 15 in a row at that time, I'm not sure, but they were the team to beat in our conference, and, and anyway, we, we looked at it, and we thought, we thought we, you know, if things would fall right, Brandeis had a pretty good team. They had two brothers on their team and you knew a little bit about them from previous years, but you also knew that, that they didn't always hit it on all cylinders at the same time. And we knew, we thought lacrosse was somewhat vulnerable and North Central, we just thought, well, you know, we're, we, we got a little closer to them at, at the regional championship. We're just going to go out there and we're going to, we, we thought, Here's how it's going to develop. If we're going to win, you know, this is how we wanted the race to go. And, and as it turned out, the race developed very similar to what we thought. The Brandeis kids struggled a little bit. We saw that uh, our guys realized that on the course when they were running. And they saw the, you know, the number one guy from lacrosse also kind of faltered a little bit, just like we thought he might because of the circumstances. And, and before you knew it, you know, that we waited an awful long time to get those re <laughs> the results that we had won. Um, North Central always had a guy at the finish line keeping tabs on what their team score was and who were the independent guys because there was no chip timing. There was rip off the tag and you wait for three hours to get the results. And, you know, we knew it was close and um, we knew the women had a really good team. But to have us both win on the same day was, I mean, that was awesome. It was, you know, probably the, the one of the one of the highlights, if not the highlight of of our coaching careers together, is to win a national title on the same day, on the same course, um, at the same time was was pretty cool. It was neat. I remember going over to our team huddle, to the team huddle, and they said that they asked us how the men were, 
we did, and I said, I think they won. We didn't know for sure, but we thought we won. And then somebody said, well, if they can do it, we can do it too. And I said, sounds good to me. Away we went. <laughs> and then we were, um, with a half mile to go, um, St. Thomas was in front of us. I had someone doing scores. And so um, Darcy Beals was our fifth at that time. And so we yelled at her pretty hard to get going. And she ended up, um, we ended up beating St. Thomas at the end. So that was kind of a fun thing. Again, it's always a fun thing to win. So both teams are really happy. So they're, you know, Oshkosh is having great fun. We get to have fun on the bus on the way home. Everybody's happy. And so I agree with John. That's probably one of our highlights of coaching that, yeah. I'll, that I'll always remember. Yeah. And I mean, that was, they were just a great group of guys that year that just believed that they could, you know, what we were third the year before um, when Deb's team won their first national title in 87, we were third and we were shocked that we were third. Um, just because we had, there was a big fall at the beginning. It was over at Hope College and uh, it was snow. And we had, there was a huge pile of it, like 200 meters. And one of our guys went down and ended up having to get like seven stitches in his foot, but still finished the race. And we ended up finishing third. And that was when we started thinking about, you know, we could maybe win this. And, you know, and, and but to win it both on the same day, that was, that was great. And, and oh my gosh, there was, you know, two pretty happy teams and and uh, lots of happy parents, a lot of happy parents alumni. and stuff and alumni and things. So it was, you know, well, I don't think I'll ever forget that St. Louis course, even though I didn't think it was the greatest course in the world. Don't get me wrong, but at uh, Forest, Forest Park, Forest Park in St. Louis, but I'll always have great memories. I think my favorite stat from that year is that you won a national title before you won a conference title, John. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty amazing. <laughs> you know, we can't win our dang conference meet, but we can win win a national championship. That that, but losing at the conference meet that that lit a that lit a huge fire under those guys because they really, really were disappointed to lose because okay. that was at home too. And the chancellor was in the golf cart with us previewing that during the race you know and you just thought oh Christ, it was our chance to finally break that streak from lacrosse and then to get beat at home it was just crushing um but they responded well to it and obviously um we didn't cry in our beer too long uh on that one uh, but it did it was a motivator to like dang it all we're better than this we should have won at conference we're gonna and we always, we laugh at that at this point. You know, we could, we don't even mention conference. We just said, yeah, well, we won the national championship in 1988. And everybody assumes, of course, you won every other meet then. <laughs> but we didn't, we hardly ever, I don't know if we won another meet that year. You know, it, it might've been the first meet we actually won. Um, it's kind of funny, um, but you know, you just, yeah, that was part of that group. They were, they were real believers. And they really believed in what we were trying to do. And they were just a great group of competitors. And I liked having, we had a couple guys that played hockey um, that were, you know, I, I liked recruiting guys that played more than one sport. I liked recruiting guys from little schools that played basketball or they wrestled or they played hockey or they, they did something else besides, they never had run year round. They were just, 
you know, and they probably were their best guys in their high school, but they were just, they were always probably undertrained and underdeveloped. And I love those guys. Those guys that you could bring in and say, boy, we're going to be great. We're going to train. This will be the first time you've ever trained year round. We're going to make, you're going to be unbelievable. And they, they bought into that. And, and it was true. We, I, you know, I, I, I really, I love, I love those guys, but we also didn't. And I don't think Deb, you didn't run your, your women didn't run a lot of miles. I was always looking for the diamond in the rough. You know, and they, so, called them. they were doing other sports. They were just maybe doing a little bit of running. Yeah. And then we just had to be careful the freshman year that we didn't, um, they didn't do too much and get hurt. Right. I think we both, Deb and I, one of our, we, we almost always erred on the side of under training. Um, especially the young, when they're yeah, young. Yeah, especially when they're young as a freshman. Shoot, as a freshman, I didn't even let them run six. You know, they never ran on Sundays. You know, <laughs> it was like forbidden almost. And the, like the guys in 1988, 89, 90, when we won three championships, and those guys ran 45 to 60 miles a week. Some, most of them, half of them probably didn't run on Sunday. You know, we, we it was, when we ran, when we did workouts, we did, you know, they ran, they ran hard in their workouts and, we, we always did a workout on Monday, always did one on Wednesday, and we raced on Saturday. We pretty much raced three weekends out of four. Unheard of things this, you know, when you look at where, where it is now, everybody wants to run like 75, 80, 90, 100 miles a week. And, you know, I'm not, I'm still not big on that. I'm not, I think you have a hard time, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that that's the route to go for an 8K. You know, yes, I, I understand, but for the most part, I wanted to get those guys. We had, you wanted to get those guys healthy and eager to run and not be hurt. And that was, that was the big goal. And, you know, that it worked out well for us. It was a good, it was a good philosophy, I think. So both of you as, you know, long-term head coaches, successful head coaches had a chance to, you know, positively impact the lives of a lot of student athletes. Um, I'm curious what athletes had the biggest impact on you guys as coaches? Uh, on the men's side, you know, when we took over, when I took over in 1982, really there wasn't much recruiting that was done. And, and so, you know, in that very first year, my first recruit, George Trantow, you know, was, you know, he's still been a, a really loyal alum from the very, from the very beginning. So he goes back the longest, but we had a, a group of guys during that early eighties that really, you know, brought, brought the team from being eighth at conference to winning a national championship. And, and that would be guys like obviously George Trantow, uh, Steve Mullen, Jamie Pollard, uh, Bill Niederberger, Pete Bonet, Steve Sharp, uh, Scott Sternagel, Dave Lambert, Ron Welliford, Randy Damcott, Tim Moore. Those guys were just, you know, they, they brought us from being just some obscure division three team to all, you know, to in 88, 89 and 90 winning three consecutive national championships. Um, after that time period there, you know, I, I just can't, 
I can't continue to name guys because it would probably go on for, for way too long. And I'd be fearful that I would leave some out, but without a doubt, every single year, there were guys that made really vital contributions to continuing to keep that tradition going of being a, a team that was a team to be reckoned with, as Deb would say, uh, at the national level. And, and so I'll just leave it at those guys. I know I, I named quite a few, but um, like I said, every other generation, every group of guys along the way was really important. But when I look back at, at we, when we started women's cross country back in 1981, we needed to get moving and get our foot in the door and just um, make running a passion for us. And um, Diane Cooney was our first recruit that we had. And she sort of led the way and ended up going to nationals, NAI nationals, you know, as a, as a junior. And she was followed by Mary Gallerup, who was followed by Maureen Waldoon. And then we get into what I call the, the heavyweights, um, where, where our team really pushed to the forefront, you know, at the NCAAs. And that was Cheryl Niederberger, Tiffany Fox. Here's another funny name. Um, Tiffany Eppensberger, um, Laura Horsch, and probably closed out with Liz Woodward. They were all part of our, our first, our first you know, diehard group that went through that were highly competitive and uh, wanted, to, wanted to go places, even though they knew like you know, sometimes pressure came with that and to deal with the pressure. We always used to say, and I think Deb used it too, is that pressure is good, you know? Um, don't view that as something that's, that's bad or that's hard for you. You know, pressure is something that it, it's good. It's good to feel that and use that in the right way to become a, a better, a better performer on the day when it counts. Yeah, I know John and I are very different in how we prepare. Like, um, he would go up and talk to all the women's coaches before when the, when the women were warming up. And when the men were warming up, I would sit on the bus and um, probably probably be reading. And so John would be out talking and Deb would be in the bus reading. Yeah, I mean, I, well, obviously I am a talker. <laughs> and, and so that's a way, possibly a way also for nervous energy at the time. I didn't like to be around my guys very much. Or the men coaches. You were... and, or the men coaches necessarily that much because, well, you know, we were competing against them. Um, and I didn't want to, you know, I always tried to do my best not to show any kind of nervousness at all around our athletes. And a Deb would be the same way. You were always very confident and tell them. You didn't spend a lot of time saying things. You just had, you know, I learned that from, I, I can't remember who, but when it, you know, we tried to keep our message very simple. Just a couple things. Here's what we want to do in this, you know, Here's what we're going to do. Let's go out and do it. And here's our, remember what our plan was? Follow it and not get too complicated about things. Um, I know too. When I look back over, over my career, I felt, I feel like when I first started coaching, I was like a sister to the women on the team. And then, dang, I had to get a little bit older. And then I was like their mom. And then I had to get older yet, that even worse. And then that, then I was like their grandma, and so, and so that was that was kind of interesting as, as time went along. 
but then also it was um when you got older that you realized that you needed to get some young young people on their staff and we got that from Mike Shashesky. John and I are always yeah, yeah. John and I are always watching what all kinds of coaches are doing, whether it's a basketball coach or a baseball coach or whatever. And we noticed that as he got older, he brought in young people to help him to do his recruiting or do whatever he needed to do. And so then John and I always make sure when we were in the grandma and the grandpa stage of coaching, that we had someone young. You know, Helping you, you know, volu either volunteering or you, you worked out, you know, well, you can work out with the team or it's a fifth year guy or something like that. Because as you got older, you, you know, you, you didn't share as many commonalities with the guys you were recruiting as you did when you were younger. So you had to change your tact a little bit. And even though that, even though that you would get along with them the same, but like when they came in for recruiting, I always wanted them to meet, meet someone young. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it'd be more, even though that you, that you two would do, that we would do really well together. They don't know that when they're coming in just on that first, you know, the first day of, you know, the first day of practice and the first day or when you start recruiting them. And so I think that was always really important near the end was to have someone that was, that was young. Can you talk about how the Oshkosh invite, also known as the Brooks invite, and I believe now it's the College Town invite, how that got started? Well, I think it started as a five-team meet, and what we were looking to do is um, not, um, it was two weeks out from conference. We um, didn't necessarily want to see all of our conference schools and then come back in two weeks and race them again. So we were looking to, to do something else. And this is what, this is how, this is what happened right. or how we started. It's kind of started with, you know, Calvin, Cal Calvin, North Central, Oshkosh, Hope, um, Carleton College. I think those were- Stevens Point. And UW Stevens Point, um, you know, with Rick Witt there. And, and that's kind of how it started. I, and it really, our intent was never to necessarily see it grow to where it did, but obviously it, it grew into a big meet because of those initial schools were drawing from the central region, the Midwest and the Great Lakes. That got other teams interested in saying, geez, let's come and race those guys. And we've had such tremendous cooperation out at Lake Breeze with Dave Petrick and his staff of guys men and women that over the years have just made it so nice to be able to run out there. They've been, I, I just can't, Deb and I could never say enough good things about them because they have just been tremendous advocates and, and wanting to have national championships and regional championships and continuing the Brooks, which turned, you know, turned into like, AAE to college town to whatever, but to Deb and I, it'll always be the Brooks Invitational. And, you know, we, to this day, we still continue to have our fingers in it a little bit in that we help set up the course. We help do a lot of the administration stuff. Deb does that. I like working out in the course, painting the lines, getting things set up. And it's utilized by a couple different high schools as well. And 
basically, you know, Deb and I are out there an awful lot in September and October, just overseeing cross country meets. And we do that because as coaches way back, you know, it was one of the things that we always thought, boy, it'd be really nice if somebody would be able to do all this for us. And we thought this would be a great gift to future coaches to say, look, we'll take care of these meets. You just come and coach and take care of your men and women. And that's what we would love to do. Well, yeah, we always thought whenever we had our big home meet that our team was neglected because, you know, everybody else has something they want you to take care of. And so that was like, when John and I left, um, we told um, Eamon that we would take care of running the meet and that he just had to show up with his team and race that day. Not just show up with his team and race, but you know, show up and race and that we would take care of um, any of the logistics, any of the little problems sometimes that come up or anything you know, from getting an award for someone to um, there's a, can we fill in a mud hole in the back or anything like that, we would, John and I would take care of. John would take care of the um, equipment side of things. I hate equipment. And then he hates administrative stuff and I like getting all that stuff together. And so it works out pretty well as a pair. Yeah, we each had, throughout our career, we each had our designated tasks. Deb was definitely much more oriented and uh, administratively wise, very, very organized always had things done in advance. I could never get, get I could never get things done ahead of her. <laughs> but, uh, and on the flip side, she just let me say, John, you take care of the course, make sure that that's all set up. And that was, we each had our own little designated duties and it worked out really well. We always felt it was a fair course. And, um, you know, that's, that's what you were looking for just wanted it to be a fair course for all the athletes so that um you know obviously there's fluky things that happen in the course of any race but you can never prevent any of that you know that sometimes things just happen um but we wanted it to at least be fair and you could race it in different ways and that the results were always out there pretty quick that you didn't have to wait until, you know, for four hours to get results. So, oh yeah, my goal was always to have before the men's race was finished, let's say the men were going second, to have the women's results out before the men were finished with the race. As we begin to wrap up here, I kind of wanted to bring up a point that you all made earlier in that year were super competitive people and the basketball coach said that you would never win at Oshkosh. And looking up all your trophies and final titles, John, you finished with six total titles and 13 podium finishes. Deb, you finished with 18 titles and 43 podium finishes between cross country and track and field, which is just absurd between the both of you. Did you ever expect that? No, because I was too busy looking ahead to see how we could win the next one or to go after and keep and keep things moving in the direction that we wanted to. I never even thought about that. I was just like, um, I wish, looking back, I wish I had smelled the roses a little bit more, but I was just like, okay, get this one's done, this season's finished. Okay, now I gotta get to start preparing for next season. So I was like always um, like on the go and I wish I had taken a little more time to, um, like I said, you know, smell the roses along the way. But I, 
I, we had great fun. You know, for 30, we coached for 30 years. It was um, just awesome. And like 99% of the time, I look forward to going into work. You couldn't ask for anything more. You couldn't ask for a greater job. It was, a, it was just fun. And to have that, be able to work that long and have that kind of fun, I think is something special. Yeah, it, it was great. And not only, you know what, there was great relationships that you developed over the years as well with the coaches that you coached with or against in, in Division Three and within our conference. And, and those were, those are fun relationships that still exist today, even though we're, you know, we still help UW Oshkosh with their home meets and, and cross country and whatever we can to help, to help them with managing that has been, it's been fun because we still are able to keep in touch in a way with, with a lot of the coaches that we coached against during the time period we were in Oshkosh. So it was, it, it was a lot of fun and it still continues. We still follow division three, seeing how those guys are doing and um, how the sport is going in division three. Yeah, I was gonna ask if you guys are still checking results every weekend or if you've been able to, you know, kind of take a step back from that. John's checking results every weekend. I'm probably checking them every other weekend. <laughs> yeah. I still like I still like checking up on it because you know there's I don't know, we keep track of track and field in general. And so, because we usually go to the Olympic trials, so, you know, so we're, we're, we keep our hand, we're, we aren't doing as much as we used to, but we um, still keep track of what's happening. Yeah. It, I mean, track and field and cross country and distance running is always in your blood. <laughs> and so we keep track of it, not as myopically as we probably did <laughs> when we were coaching, but. Yeah, we keep track of it. And we're always looking for the division three guys or men or women. You know, you see some marathon result and you go, gosh, where's I got to check over these top 25, see if anybody cracked into that or not. Um, and, and, and so and it, it's, it's just fun to it's fun to look at. And, you know, certainly we missed not the Olympic trials last year and hopefully the Olympics will go this year. Um, I hope so. Um, I don't know if the Olympic trials is going to allow people to come and watch or not, but if they do, we'll be there. We haven't we missed have one since. House yeah, we haven't missed one since 1984, so we don't want to miss one now either. So, especially with the new Hayward Field and all, I mean, gosh. Deb, this one's for you, as you were the namesake of the Division Three Program of the Year Award that is given out at the convention for not just the cross-country program, but for the cross-country and track program as a whole. It's one of the biggest honors a program can receive, and your name is the award. Can you talk about when you first found out you won that award and what the impact it had on your career? Remember when I found out? I don't remember even when it started. I just remember when I when I look back, it was I thought it was a great honor to have the program of the year award named after me. It was um, I felt like it was a reflection of my other student athletes and all the the women that were part of the Oshkosh program during my time. I when I was at Oshkosh, we had great assistance and great administrative support. I remember one time when Oshkosh still had a, um, a public um, airport 
that I got on the plane and the chancellor had had the pilot stop and talk to us. So the pilot had got on the microphone and said, we would like to wish the um, UW Oshkosh men and women's track and field teams great success this weekend. They are on this flight. So I just thought that was like a, a really cool thing. Deb, you were recognized for this when Sam Seams came to the Brooks Invitational one year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And Al Carius was there too at the same time. So um, Sam presented, you know, or, or I don't know if you'd say presented this, but, you know, he offered, I, I think it might even have been a year when you won the Deborah Cotterman Award. And, you know, so that was a nice celebration there. And I know the athletic director was there and the chancellor and, and Al Carius was there too. And so I know we have a picture of Deb and Al and, and Sam Seams um, I just with have, the trophy. And see, I don't remember all the detail, details. I just have like great memories when I think about it. Fond memories. And I felt like, oh, what an, what an honor. What a neat thing for all the athletes that were a part of that and made that, you know, made that happen. And just like all the assistant coaches and it just seemed like I had a big support group. The one thing I thought was, you know, really interesting about that is that you, you know, basically started a program from scratch and now your legacy lives on not only at UW Oshkosh, but the impact that you made on division three as a whole. Oh, I'm highly competitive and um, I like to go and set goals and go after things. And so that, that would fit with my personality. Someone would say something to me or put a little chip on my shoulder and there we go. <laughs> yeah. And you would agree with that, I think, John. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it is pretty amazing, though, when, like you had said, when you think about it, that, you know, in 1980, there, there was no program at UW Oshkosh. And then, and now here you are, you know, from the very beginnings when Deb started the program to when you retire and now you have the Division Three Program of the Year named after you. That's just it's it, it is an incredible story and you know we really it, it, it's a fun one to tell because and women's sports just in general during that 30 years have grown up so much oh yeah and that also i remember too i went to um we had a coaches meeting at at one of our meets that we were at and i was the only woman there when i walked in the room and i said hi and not one person said hi back so I thought, I'll, I'll change this. And so then I made, the next time I went in, I went and shook hands with each person that came through and said who I was and so made them introduce themselves. So if things don't, aren't going your way, I think you just have to um, figure out a way to make, that, make it happen. And you can. Final question here, because uh, we don't want to keep you too long. Did you develop the checkered board singlets? I did, yeah. Um, yeah, my team. Well, yeah, our team did. It probably sprouted out of the, the magical candy stripes of North Central, you know, <laughs> idea that, well, and I was a firm believer in let the guys run the team. And somebody came up and said, you know, could we design a uniform? And I think it was Ryan Richardson, maybe. And I said, sure. Yeah. Heck yeah. Let's, let's do that. And he came up with the, the black and gold checkerboard design and we got a company that would make them for us out of Wisconsin somewhere. I can't even remember the name of the company, but now it'd be Mount Bora or something. But um, yeah, and then we did this, we did the stripes too. We did 
uh, black and gold stripes. And then one thing has led to another. And yeah, I wish I would have patented that idea. Because <laughs> there's a lot of, I mean, the uniforms have come a long way since the basic gold singlet or black singlet or whatever. But we mixed up our singlets a lot. Starting way back on it, way back when uh, we were going to the regional championship in 1988 or in 87, we were going to the regional championship and one of the guys on the team forgot his uniform. So we're going, oh, geez, God, <laughs> you know, what are we going to do? So we went to the store and bought the Hanes white singlets that, you know, the white undershirt. And we had a guy in the team who was an artist and he put on a wing foot with an O on it. And we all ran in that and uh, made our own uniforms for that regional championship and wore them again at nationals, I believe. Um, and so it all started way back when, but yeah, that was, that was with my approval. Yeah. Let's, let's do a little different uniform. I told him, though, of course, if you make that kind of uniform, you, you dang well better run well because everybody's going to know who you are. So you better run well. And they made good on that, so I can't complain. Hey, John, Deb, thank you guys so much for joining us today. It's been really fun for us, and I think it'll be a lot of fun for our listeners to hear you reminisce on such successful Division three careers. And, um, yeah, we've had a lot of fun. Thanks. Yeah, well, it, it's been fun. Thank you. And good luck. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate the time our guests took. We really enjoyed the conversation. We hope you did too. Not going to keep you long, but please write a review of this podcast if you enjoyed it. Share it with a friend. If you're interested in representing D3 merch, you can find the merch store on our website um, or in the link provided below this podcast. Um, We also have a donation button if you'd like to buy us a coffee. We'll be back with an episode really soon. Until next time, here's to the glory days.